There she is. All right. Uh, Abby was supposed to stand in the back and hand out the outline note sheet for the service. And she is going to do that now because she doesn't get to shirk her responsibility like that. Uh, the outline, so here's why I'm doing this. Number one, some people are more visual than I am and need sort of something in front of them. It's so that you can take notes. It's so that you can write questions. Uh, in the next week or so, I'm going to guess it's going to be the week after this coming week, we will do another deep dive on uh, Facebook Live. Uh, so if you have questions or thoughts or want me to dig into stuff, um, sermons, like part of the frustrating part of writing a sermon is you do about eight hours of research for, you know, a 30-minute talk. <laughs> I have not gone an hour in a while, like a month, well, maybe 55 minutes. Um, And so uh, the deep dive, like there's just so much extra material. And if you want to learn more about whatever, write your questions down. There are cards. uh, Write your questions down. Ask them online. Text them to me. Email them to me. Whatever. Like like pass them on and we will answer them as best we can. And so I, uh, yeah, and actually I am, the last time I wore this shirt to preach was years ago, and it was hot, and I I was up here, and I was sweating, and I took it off, and I had a Dairy Queen shirt on, and I worked that into the sermon. It is, to this day, one of the most commented on sermons I've ever done, Uh, and I, I actually was talking with my wife today. wearing my Yoda shirt. We're, we're, we've been doing Daniel, and we're jumping out of Daniel, and we're going to jump over to uh, the book of Acts next week. I, as a habit, um, as a practice and a discipline, I try to only preach verse by verse through books. That way the scripture decides what we're talking about, and it's the Spirit's leading. And since I started doing this, I've had a number of times where folks have approached me and said, I, you must have been in my living room today because you spoke to exactly what I was dealing with today. And I think that's not me. That's the Holy Spirit. And that is awesome. Um, I rarely do topical series. I rarely do one-offs, but I'm doing a one-off this week. Uh, I'm going to be speaking in the book of Proverbs. And so if you would like to open one of your Bibles or like the Pew Bibles or what have you, Proverbs is just after Psalms right in the middle. Um, the book of Proverbs is funny because we sometimes look at it like fortune cookie theology. You crack it open and it's a one line that tells you something. And it's not quite that. Um, wisdom literature or the, the proverb as a, as a genre of literature for the ancient Hebrews was like a serious business. And people spent a lot of time writing them and thinking about them. Most of them have little puns built into them or rhyme schemes or whatever. And they were meant to be memorized. And in fact, actually, the whole book is written from a, the perspective of a father to his son teaching him how to live. And so we're going to be in Proverbs chapter 3, and we're going to do verses 1 through 12. Um, And understand, what I'm going to give you today is not Yoda theology. It is not try or, you know, do or do not, there is no try. It is not a one line, take it away and plug it into any situation. This is a bigger idea about what wisdom is. 
um, about where wisdom comes from and about how wisdom works. And specifically, wisdom is, now watch this, because we think of wisdom and we think, oh, he's, he's a wise guy, so he's either in the mafia or he's a smart mouth or both. Or we, we think wisdom is like somebody who's just really, really smart. And actually, like wisdom in the Hebrew context, the way that, that the Jewish people saw wisdom, it is knowledge, about 25%, and about 75% application. You all ever know someone who is really, really clever but can't make a smart decision to save their lives? No, you're not coming up here and playing. <laughs> Wisdom is knowledge in action. And, and as we dive into this, I'm going to talk a lot about why we don't have as much wisdom today as we ought to. Why the church oftentimes lacks wisdom in its handling of situations, in its handling of God's word, in its handling of politics as of late everything like we are bad at it and here's why but i'm going to start with a story jess and i went for a walk this morning we walked our dogs and we specifically went for a walk to watch the sunrise and as we walked up on the edge of town jess wrangled my arm and threatened me to make me walk her way because i have a set path that i walk every time so i don't get lost um yeah it's less funny than you think it is like uh, um, but we walked toward the mountains, and very slowly, I mean, everybody here has probably seen the sunrise over the bear, bear's paw, what, like a million times? Probably don't even notice it. For those of you who are under the age of 20, the sun comes up. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, for those of you under the age of 15, when you step away from your Xbox, the sun is the big, the big flashlight in the sky. <laughs> the graphics are great. Um, stop. <laughs> so we're out there. We're walking, and there's a mist this morning because it's kind of humid, right? And the mist was out, and you could barely see the end of the street as we started. And we got out there, and my wife commented, you can't really see the mountains. You can only see the outline of them. And we, we sort of walked along the edge of town, and we stared at the outline of the mountains and discussed, like, just kind of that it's pretty to look at the outline of the mountains in the mist. And very edge of the sun was visible. And as we came around the corner, um, I don't know how well you can see it. This is a photo we took. If Craig was with us, he would have taken a better picture. But as we walked, very slowly, the sun came up and it began to burn off the mist. And if you look, there's three horses out in the field grazing. And they just appeared all of a sudden. It was strange. And the longer we watched those horses and stared, all of a sudden, a tree started to come out of the mist. And very slowly, the mountains materialized as the sun came up and the sky lit up and everything else. And, like, as we approach wisdom, like, there are times we're going to approach problems or challenges or major life decisions or how do I respond to this person or how do I treat this person or how am I going to talk or how am I going to do this or how am I going to do that? And we're looking at it, and it looks so stinking big. And by our own mindset, it is just everything. Anybody ever in this spot? And we oftentimes want to knee-jerk and respond exactly the way our heart or our, our stomach tells us to, rather than patiently watching. 
And the longer we watch and pray and seek after God, wisdom begins to emerge. And all of a sudden, the mountain makes a little more sense from the perspective of what God is telling us. And all of a sudden, other things start coming out. And then we turn the corner and walk a little further, and we look at the mountains from a different angle, and they look completely different because sometimes problems need to be chewed on and considered. But for the most part, we don't chew on anything and we don't consider anything because I got a text message two minutes ago and I need to deal with it. Anyone else? Or we got email or we got phone calls or there's something good on TV or I'm bored and I need to stare at my phone for five minutes or or the kids are pestering you and you can't get into a good groove in the sermon or whatever. Like there are all these things that are constantly pulling us away. And the key to wisdom ultimately is knowing Christ intimately. And that is actually my main point here. Like the big point, if you're going to fall asleep, the big point in this message is um, Jesus is the wisdom for God, for those, from God or of God for those who are saved by him and are living new life through him. Like Christ himself is God's knowledge made flesh and in action in the world around us. And if we want to be wise, if we want to understand things, if we want to like engage the world in a way that God perceives as wise, we have to do it through Christ. Um, and sometimes you've got to stop and stare. And sometimes you've got to think because there are times when your children drive you nuts and you don't know what to do. Or that other person, you just hate them so much. Anybody? And like you have to stare at them and pray about it. Not just stare at them, but stare at them and pray about it and ask, Lord, what would you have me do? And very slowly, Jesus starts showing up at that point. That's why I tell people over and over again, if you don't like someone, you darn well better be praying for them. Because how we see wisdom. But I'm going to get into the text here. I'm not just going to, you know, pontificate about mountains. Um, it's not the Eric hour. This is, we're talking about Jesus. But this is Proverbs 3, 1 to 4. Proverbs 3, 1 to 12 is a, a collection of poems, three poems. Um, and we're going to look at each poem individually because they make different points, all interconnected. Um, and so the first one here is in two couplets, which means it's one part and then a second part. Okay, so if you pay attention, you can see the poetry in it, which is important for understanding scripture sometimes, is looking at how it's laid out. But follow me here. My son, do not forget my teachings, but let your heart keep my commandments. For the length of days of, and years of life and peace, they will add to you. Now, real quick, it's very simple, right? Hey, I'm teaching you stuff. Don't forget it. Right? I mean, anybody with kids, with sons, know you do have to tell them things 10,000 times. Um, but that's the idea here. Actually, during the exile in the post-exilic period, like when the Jews left Babylon, which is where we left them last week in our Daniel sermon, um, when they finally get home, um, and then on into the time of Christ through when they were banished from the promised land and still today, um, there is this system that emerged where people would review these books in public as, as a body and then in their own homes every day. They would read through these poems and they would remember them and learn them because that was part of how you made them a part of yourself. And so, like, as he says, remember my teaching, the kid's going to hear this 10 million times. Right? And it's going to take about 10 million and one before he gets it. He says, like, follow these things for the rest of your life, and peace will be added to you. 
Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Now, for us, that might go right by us, but there's a prayer in the book of Deuteronomy. Um, John, what's it called? Oh, I caught you sleeping, didn't I? Tell me what the prayer is when I get there, John. This is Deuteronomy 6, 4-9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands, bind them on your foreheads, and write them on your door frames of your houses and on your gates. What's it called, John? The Shema. Thank you. It is the most holy prayer in the Jewish faith. The Lord our God is one, right? And he is, so Moses is here, he's telling the, the, the commandments, the law, and he's impressing it on them. And he's like, look, folks, this is a big deal. Do it. Right. And we tend to look at the law as do this, don't do that. It's like the, the speed limit in life. But like that's the wrong way to look at it. The law helps us to understand what it means to have a relationship with God. Right. If I have a relationship with God, I don't want things that don't belong to me. I don't have other gods. I don't swear that God said stuff that he didn't say. Um, it's a little like uh, at my wedding. My wife and I set a number of vows, right? Those aren't speed limits in my life. They are the things that are impressed on my heart and theoretically on my, you know, on my left hand, except I took my ring off when I got too fat to wear it, um, that I know I'm not wearing it right now, hon. Um, but they become a part of who you are to the very nature of who you are. And this is what God is calling his people to be. He's saying, listen. Tie these commands, put them on your hands, put them on your forehead. Actually, if you go to Israel, I remember seeing this at the Wailing Wall when I was there. These guys with these boxes tied to their foreheads with the law in them, right? And actually on the plane, I watched people get up at prayer time and put these boxes on their heads and a whole bunch of different other regalia. And they walked up and down the aisles praying for like 40 minutes. It was really neat. Um, but what the father is doing with the son in the poem here is he's saying, listen, this is like the commands. This is the truth, and you need to know it. But he doesn't say the commands. He says, steadfast love and faithfulness. Why? Because the commands ultimately were always about that. Love God, love your neighbor, right? So when they say, when the, the Pharisee, or the, I think he was a teacher of the law, actually said to Jesus, what's the greatest commandment of the law? Jesus said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. When we go through wisdom, wisdom is loving God and loving your neighbor. It is looking at the world through God's eyes. But we'll get to that a little more in depth in a minute. First big point, living wisely requires God's love and faithfulness be bound to our hearts. We must become his people. Now the problem that comes about is we sin, right? Anybody aware that you sin? Is anybody perfect because you're not in the right building? Like, we sin. We fail to love God. We hate our neighbors. We hate other people who are like 
like like saved by Jesus. We don't love them the way we're supposed to. We don't serve them the way we're supposed to. We hate the other political party. We worship money. We worship power. We worship this. We worship that. We worship everything except Jesus sometimes. Living wisely requires that we live in him because if God knows everything, if God is all aware, created everything, set everything in order, and in fact, actually, the rabbis taught um, that through wisdom, God created the world. Well, eventually, in the New Testament, we learn that through Jesus, all things were created, right? We'll come back to that, but just be aware, like, like wisdom it only comes from God. It can only come from God. Some things we do may work, and I think part of that is because God allows his spirit to inform people, and he keeps us in order, right? But the complete knowledge of what wisdom is is only possible through Christ. And so we have to become different. Our stony, sinful hearts, right? Like that's when I talk about sin. The point was we all have it, and when we have sin... Our hearts turn into big, nasty rocks. And in Christ, they're taken out and we're given something better. We're given a heart of flesh with God's word printed on it. We become like Christ to the very core of who we are. Um, five to eight, second poem. This is actually hanging on my wall. It's been hanging on my wall for years. I look at it every day I show up to work. And I thought, I have never researched this. And I have never studied it, and I've never done a sermon on it, and I really should do that. I didn't even have the whole poem, so it shows what I know. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. I'll pause there. The tendency of man, the tendency of all of us outside of Christ, and sometimes in Christ but not looking through his eyes, is to look at a problem and say, this is what it is, and I need to act this way. We look at the mountain, we say it ain't there because I can't see it. Right? That problem is too big, it is what it is. And it's not until we slow down, because my knee-jerk reaction is always angry. Anybody else? How about this? Anybody watch the news this week, and the only knee-jerk reaction you had was angry? Right? Probably even, like if you... Follow Facebook and Twitter. There are a ton of people who are just angry at the guy who lives next door because he will do this or won't do that or whatever, right? And, like, our knee-jerk reaction is they're stupid, they're wrong, they're evil, they're screwing me up. But in reality, that is flesh. That is the world's eyes. We have to back up and look and say, what is Christ calling me to see? What is Christ calling me to do in this situation? There are times that people wrong us. And our first reaction is punch back. That is exactly how most people, and myself included most of the time, like do marriage, right? She said something mean to me. It is my turn to say something mean back. My kids are great at this. Why did you hit him? Because he looked at me funny, of course, Josh. Anyway, uh, <laughs> no one in particular. Sorry, my mouth is dry. So do not lean on your own understanding. Leaning on your own understanding is leaning on the flesh, on the sinful nature, because it will always be outside of God's will. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Now, in all your way, acknowledge him. It's like, oh, hey, God. No, it's stop and check. 
It's stop and read. It is stop and look. It is stop and reflect. And a lot of times we don't want to do that. We want a self-help, you know, uh, Yoda, pull this off the list kind of answer. And we don't want to work at it because we're too busy. There's too much noise to stop and pray and reflect and think and read. It's hard. And our culture is aimed at exactly the opposite of that. I've said it last week, I'm going to say it again. The average pastor in America prays for about three minutes a week in front of the church on Sundays. You know why? Because we're the most important people in the church in our own eyes. And we have to do all this stuff or the world will end because we're the ones running the show. And that is nonsense. It's a failure to acknowledge God's position in relation to his body. Pastors are often foolish myself included, and probably most, more than anyone else, because we don't pray and we don't say, this is God's deal, what's he doing? Right? We offer practical advice or pat answers instead of like digging into the word and seeking. Why? Well, Proverbs explains it. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of... All wisdom. Why? Because it's the knowledge that God is all-powerful, that God is in control, and that God has set the cornerstones of the world. And the knowledge of God begins when we fear. Fear as in, I'm afraid of rattlesnakes? No. Fear as in, um, as in the children were afraid of Aslan because he's a big lion, right? Is he safe? No, but he's good. We have to take God seriously because God is a, like God is to be taken seriously. He loves us. He loves us so much that it is like, it defies description. Um, but at the end of the day, like we have to take him seriously. We can't treat him foolishly or lightly. And so fear of the Lord is to stop and say, I don't know what's right. I'm going to do what God tells me. I'm going to pursue it. I'm going to dig into it. I'm going to look. And turn away from evil, meaning I know what evil is, I'm going to go the other way. Why? Because evil's bad, and we don't want to fall into that. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. I spent a bit of time trying to figure this out, and I had this realization that, like, like how is it that seeking God and reflecting and digging and praying and, like, really looking... How is that healing to my flesh and refreshment of my bones? And I started thinking about the things that would probably heal me, and eating regularly is good for me, right? Eating well. And it's almost as though man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. It might be the case that filling ourselves spiritually then affects and infects everything else around us. Everything in our lives, everything that we do, everything we say, every way we act, we are filled with him, healed and refreshed. So the next big idea I want you to understand is real wisdom comes from God alone. It's not our own, right? And we have to learn to see through his eyes to understand that truth. If we do not manage to see through God's eyes, we will not ever be wise. And that is really hard to do because he's God. Right? And I'm, one of my most often quoted texts in the scripture is uh, from Job, 
When Job says, God, do you even have eyes of flesh? Can you see as I see? And actually, at the end of the book, God, more or less not quoting, I'm sort of paraphrasing and twisting a little bit, but like, God says, Job, do you have eyes like mine? Can you understand? Nope. Nope. So how do I see through God's eyes? It's almost like I need him to become one of us so I can. Weird. 9 to 12. Honor the Lord. Now, I asked my wife this morning. I was like, when was the last time I talked about money in a sermon? And she couldn't tell me, but she knows I have at some point. Be aware, this last section is about money. I'm not about to preach a plant your seed offering and you will be blessed with a huge, none of that stuff. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be wary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves whom he loves. Are you just wrestling? As a father, the son in whom he delights. Not that that was timed well. Thank you. That was not intentional. Um, so what, wait a minute. How do we go from learn to see things from God's point of view, learn to be wise in you know, God's eyes, tie his teachings all into the core of who you are and be this person, and then we jump into money? Well, watch this. I talked last week about my doctor, Dr. Christ, spelled C-H-R-I-S-T, was utterly humorless about his name, um, but I would regularly go to Christ for healing, uh, and he, he smoked. He would never tell you that smoking is good. In fact, he would probably tell me that, you know, it would kill me, but he was, he was a smoker, right? And he obviously knew the truth of it in a way that I don't know, but he wasn't living it. We can easily say God is the most important thing and God's ways are the most important ways and everything I have is a gift from him and then live as though it's not true. The reality is wisdom that does not translate or knowledge that does not translate into your day-to-day life is not wisdom. If you do not live in harmony with what you know of how God sees the world, if you do not implement and act out then you're not valuing it. And so the Jews believed, and like I think this is a solid scriptural concept, everything we receive, every good and perfect thing comes from above. Like everything we receive, every talent I have, all the time I've got, everything comes from God. And that is, that is a gift I've received. And part of doing that is giving back. But it also sits in contrast. We're done. This is the Proverbs we're looking at. But I'm going to read just a little bit of the next section because blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her, meaning wisdom, is better than gain from silver and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire can compare to her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and her paths are peace. She is a tree of life for those who lay hold of her. Those who hold fast are called blessed. Now, if I go around and I say wisdom is more important than anything else, but I spend 140% of my time pursuing wealth and rolling in it, is there a disconnect? But wealth is really important to us. 
That's why Jesus said you can't serve two gods. You know, you can't follow Yahweh and serve money because, like, you'll love one and hate the other or vice versa. Um, And I think that's why he talks about money there because at the end of the day, what we do with our stuff, how we live every day is wisdom. It is that or like nothing. Um, So wisdom from above looks to him alone, not to our own world, wealth, and power. We must live it for it to really be wisdom. These are our big ideas. Now, the sermon I have preached so far is 110% law. Everybody with me? I've spent 110% of my time so far telling you what to do. And the problem with what to do is, I'm a sinner. The things I love to do are the things like I never manage. And the things that I hate in the core of who I am because I'm in Christ are the things I manage to do. And so if I give you a list of things to do to be good, guess what's going to happen? You're going to fail at it just as bad as me. There are people who can fake it, right? But faking it is not being different or being real or being something more. And so we have to back up, and this is always the challenge for me in wisdom literature. What does it have to do with Jesus? Right? Because if I tell you, turn the other cheek. If I tell you, love your neighbor as yourself. If I tell you all of these things, I'm telling you law. Right? And it's no good. Everything I've said so far is a lead weight around your neck if you try to get to heaven living that way. Because by your own effort, you will not accomplish it. Well, what do we do? What hope is there? The only hope we have is in Christ Jesus. I'm going to jump to 1 Corinthians. I cut out 90% of what I wanted to talk about in the first half of this when I read 1 Corinthians. Watch this. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in, his, in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Now watch this. In the world's wisdom, it cannot know God. Through God's wisdom, they can't see it because we're blinded by our sin. And so God saves the world through the folly of what we preach. The folly of what we preach? Well, the greatest king, the most powerful, like, savior, the conquering warrior that God sent to save his people was a carpenter who was born in a barn and didn't get a proper education and was homeless for a really long time. And had a very small number of followers and was arrested by, like, the temple guard who really weren't an elite crack, like, force. He was put on trial like fake, and they nailed him to a cross. And, like, his followers watched him, like, slowly suffer and bleed out hanging from the cross. That's our hero. When I think heroes, I think Navy SEALs. Right? I think heroes, I think, you know, guys with... Big muscles and guns, like Jeremy Eccles, who isn't here today. Um, (laughs) When I think heroes, I think my dad, like, he knew everything. He could solve everything, all this stuff. But in reality, the hero that God sends us is foolishness in this world. Why would I believe in a God who can be killed like that? 
but he was also raised again. I can believe in that Jesus because when Jesus was crucified, God poured his wrath out on him for me. For every rotten, horrid, miserable nonsense I do, Christ died for me. But that's foolishness to the world. But it's what I'm sharing with you. It is the truth of the gospel. The scriptures are all about this, that Christ died for us. For Jews demand a sign and Greeks seek wisdom. By the way, what that's about is the Jewish people wanted miracles and the Greeks wanted philosophy, right? But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and wisdom of God. We say that again, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. <laughs> oh my gosh. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is lowly and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us the wisdom of God. I'm going to read that one more time. Because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us the wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let no one boast, boast in the Lord. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. What's he saying? He's saying, listen, our way of doing things is foolishness. And God picks the worst way possible, like from our point of view, to do the most amazing thing possible from his point of view. Love of Christ to die for, for complainy, whiny, sinning, rebelling, you know, spoiled children. So amazing. But it's foolishness, right? It is. I don't deserve it. None of us do. What, is, what am I doing with this? Why did I bring this out? Well, here are my big concepts behind the, behind the text we read, because the ideas are the things that are presented in the text, and I'm going to draw out the concepts. This is the moment the sun is risen above the mountain, right? And you can see it in full, because Jesus is the sun that has risen over every situation. And we can stop and look and say, that's what I needed to learn, Right? I spent years trying to drink myself to death, and I came out of it on the other side, and God broke me and taught me humility through the experience. And God has used that rottenness in me to help people. I talk about it way too much, I know. I don't care. Um, because what God did for me. I can look at different hardships, different difficulties, different sins, different rebellions, different right instead of left moments, and I know I know that that was all Christ working in my life to save me. And I'm going to tell you, no matter where you are at, God is constantly pushing you to know him. You cannot earn your way. If you listen to the first half of the sermon and said, I can do this, you are lying to yourself. Right? 
We need Christ to come into us and change us from the inside out so we become something different. Jesus is the wisdom from God. He is God's knowledge in action. To truly to live wisely, we must know him and his teachings even more than knowing, even more than knowing, we must become his people. What does that mean? It means that I have to know about him, but I also have to be his people. Um, I know people who know all kinds of stuff about fitness, but are definitely going to die young because they are not doing anything about it. Right? I know people that know a great deal about finance and are poor. Not because they're generous. It's because they're not all that wise. It's one thing to know. There's quite another to do. If we do not take Christ in us and give him to everyone we encounter and live with Christ living through us, if we are not like soaking in it and like approaching problems and saying, what does Jesus want me to do right now? So I look at mandates. Oh, my gosh, it's terrifying. We're all going to die. I need new guns. I need this. I need that. You know, or COVID and say, oh, my gosh, we're all going to die. Why won't these people I back up and I say, God's in control of that. And God loves people on both sides of this issue. And I ain't going to say nasty things to anyone about it. I'm going to try and be Jesus in both. This is all I care about. I look at my neighbor who might be mad at me. I'm going to say, how do I love them like Christ loves him? How do I be Jesus to this guy? Because real wisdom is staring at the mountain and discovering that Christ is in the middle of it all. To live wisely is to keep our eyes affixed on him and not on the world. We don't watch our wallets. We don't watch our pocketbooks. We don't watch the stock market. We watch Christ and we become like him. What do we do for application? How do I live this out? Okay. First off, you have to be in Christ to live wisely. You cannot fake it. Actually, you can fake it for a little while, but you won't manage it forever. Um, And it all begins by belonging to him and submitting to him and saying, this is the way I'm going to live. I belong to you, right? Like that is where it begins. It is not a prayer you say. It's not this. It's not that. It is coming into saving knowledge of Christ and following him. That is the first step. You will never manage it trying really hard. Um, Since Ross is here, I want to pick on him. If Ross and I went out to run a marathon together, who would win? Yeah, he'd shoot me as I went by. <laughs> and then he'd cross the finish line while I was bleeding. Um, how about, I'll pick on TJ. He's less scary. If TJ and I were to run a marathon, who's going to win? I can't run a marathon, but I can outrun TJ, right? Um, no offense. I love you. Um, what if TJ tries really, really, really hard? Doesn't matter. Because trying hard ain't the same as training, right? Becoming in Christ, becoming something different. Um, I I had a friend back in Indiana who had a greyhound. And it was funny because he would take that greyhound running. He ran 40 marathons a year or something. And one day he was out running and the greyhound got away from him. Did he catch it? Nope, because it doesn't matter how much that guy runs, he ain't a greyhound. And he ain't ever going to be a greyhound. And the greyhound will run the marathon ten times over before he's even gotten halfway down the block. We have to become greyhounds. We have to be in Christ in such a way that we become something new. And it is submitting. You can, I could pretend to be a dog. Sometimes I act like a dog, ask my wife. But it doesn't make me a dog. I could pretend to be 
all kinds of things, but I have to be what I am in order to be what I am. And I have to be in Christ and only in order to live like Christ. We must learn his teachings and apply them in our daily lives. If you do not know what Jesus teaches about stuff, you probably can't apply it, right? I, uh, when I was in high school, I had two different math teachers. My first math teacher was my algebra teacher, and I went to her after school every day for two and a half years, three and a half years, something like that, for a long time. I had an F in her class, and sitting down with her after school every day and working on math, it was amazing how much of a difference it made. Then I switched to the trigonometry teacher, and I read a book in his class. And I didn't show up after school, and it is amazing. You cannot try really hard to pass trigonometry without learning it. I always say I'm bad at math, and in reality, I'm a bad student. Like, I couldn't do math if I didn't learn it. I cannot be like Christ if I don't learn it. And I'm here to tell you, it is not just sitting down and studying it. When you step out of the road and you realize there are mountains over there, but I can barely see them, if you don't back up and say, like, stare at them and watch, you'll never see them. Like, they will never come out of the mist. It will never happen. If I look at a problem, if I look at an enemy, if I look at a struggle, if I look at my depression or my, my worry or my care or whatever, my broken marriage or my marriage is not broken, but theoretically, like, if I look at that and I don't say, what is Christ calling me to do, and then try to learn it, I never will. And then knowing it doesn't matter if I don't do it. I know how to run marathons. I don't do it. It doesn't matter how much I know. I know how to swim five miles. I don't do it. I'll drown first. Finally, growing in Christ-likeness means training in it. Sometimes we have to be corrected. That proverb talks about that. Sometimes God has to smack us around. He has to let us fall on our faces. Sometimes it involves spiritual discipline. Now watch this. There was a guy I had conflict with years ago. He and I shouted each other in the middle of the administrative building at work one day. I despised that man. I would go home and grind my teeth and go for long walks thinking about how much I despised him. And I called one of my spiritual advisors one day and I said, what do I do about this guy? Can I pray for God to squish him? He's like, well, I assume you're praying for him and serving him because that's what Jesus says you're supposed to do with enemies. And I said, no, I'm not doing any of that. He's like, well, there's your problem. And I went the next day. I started praying for him and I was sitting at lunch with him one day, and he was talking about his car broke down, and he couldn't fix it, and he didn't know how to, and he couldn't afford to pay to have it fixed. And I said, oh, I'll come fix it. And I went, and I spent 12 hours in that guy's garage fixing his Jeep. Don't buy a Jeep. Um, He, it galled me so bad. It burned my flesh to do nice stuff for that jerk. And you know what? I learned, and I became better. Despite me, Christ moved through me. Sometimes we have to do the opposite of what our flesh wants, and that is spiritual discipline. Sometimes we have to starve our flesh fasting and praying. Sometimes we need to give when we feel the most selfish, which is really hard for me. Sometimes we have to serve people that we want to to, uh, hit. Sometimes we have to love people who are unlovable because that is spiritual discipline. That is the training, the weightlifting of spiritual life, and it's something we're all called to do. 
I'm going to close in prayer. My encouragement for you, my challenge, is to walk out the door today and understand that if you want to know God, you have to be in Christ, and you have to pursue him. And the more you do it, the easier it'll get. And the more you do it, the easier it'll get, and the better you'll get at it. And then mountains will get bigger, but then the sun will be so much prettier, and the sunrise will be ten times better. I'm going to close in prayer and let you all go this morning. Um, Heavenly Father, um, we gather today to pray, to, to worship, to sing. And I pray, Lord God, that folks came to know you more, that folks came to, to be aware that like, we cannot earn our way to you, that only in Christ living in us and through us can we even have a hope. Can we even have a hope of being your people, of being righteous, of being wise. I pray, Lord God, that the foolishness of, of my words and my, my sometimes long-winded presentation didn't distract folks from hearing from you. And I pray that the people who are here, the people who heard from you, the people who know you um, and, and found depth in, in, in your word this morning, I pray that they would apply it in everything they do, that they would walk out the door, that they would serve their enemies, that they would love their neighbors, that they would live like Christ and be the best gospel in the world just by how they act and even more so by what they say. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Have a good morning, folks.